This episode contains descriptions of death, abuse, and harm to minors. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Children are prone to believe in all kinds of things. Whether it's monsters under beds or fairies in the garden, their minds often gravitate to the magical and supernatural. But there comes a time in every child's life where they are pressured or bullied by their peers to let go of these fantastic beliefs. It's a part of growing up, we might say, of facing a more adult reality. But where do children get these ideas if not from the people they learn everything from? Grown-ups. After all, plenty of adults are superstitious, and they believe their superstitions serve a purpose. So what if a child's belief in the fantastical serves a very vital one? What if it's a means of keeping them safe? Today's spectral tale comes from the enchanted snowscapes of Iceland, a place where legends of elves, trolls, and dwarves have been accepted as fact for generations, and where a child's belief in the strange and unknown could be a matter of life and death, or rather, the living and the undead. Hi everyone, I'm Alastair Murden, and this is Haunted Places Ghost Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. Ghost stories have arisen from every century and every corner of the world, from the streets of Victorian Whitechapel to the swamps of Bangladesh. Whether seated around the campfire or curled up with a pair of headphones, we return to them time and again to feel our skin crawl and our hearts race. Each week, Ghost Stories reimagines a chilling paranormal tale from history's most sinister storytellers, told like you've never heard them before. You can find episodes of Ghost Stories and all other originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's story comes from an Icelandic folktale collected by writer and librarian Jon Arneson. Arneson was inspired by the work of the Brothers Grimm and collected traditional stories from around Iceland in the 1850s and 60s. The White Cap is an extremely short story, but it remains one of the most tense and shocking folktales in the Icelandic canon. One that becomes even more disturbing when you consider the fact that it's about children. I will be telling this story from the point of view of Embla Bjarnadóttir, a 12-year-old girl in the small town of Vík in medieval Iceland. Her days resemble that of most children, chores, lessons, and play. But one day, Embla's playmate becomes anything but normal. Coming up, we'll find out how very cruel children can be. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. 
With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Boulder held his floppy white cap on his head as he fought the wind to wind to open up the barn. Though he held the door open for me like a gentleman, his grin was ghoulish. He put on a princely voice. After you, Embla. The barn was a dreadful place and I did not want to go. There were many places to hide and seek that didn't house dead bodies, like the barn did in winter. But Balder didn't care. Nowadays, it seemed like he never cared about what I wanted. Mother said this is normal. Good friends go through phases where they push each other away before pulling close again. I didn't believe her. The barn was dark. The glow of my small lantern could not fill the vastness of the space, but I didn't need to see to know what was inside. All around me, corpses were spread out on wooden tables, waiting to be buried at the first thaw. But besides the darkness, it was also quiet. I was scared to breathe. I stood there for a long time, frozen, when Balder's voice broke the silence. Embla, he sneered. If you don't move, I'm going to do a puppet show with these bodies. Not sure they'll like that. I shivered and looked at the darkness just beyond my lantern. I'm not a baby, but I know things that Balder doesn't, or at least that he pretends not to believe. I know how to stay on the good side of the elves, and I know which bridges and outcroppings belong to trolls. But Balder doesn't believe in elves or trolls, even though it causes terrible bad luck to dismiss them. And though everyone tells us to respect the hidden people and the restless dead, Balder says I should be more scared of him than the spirits. Then he laughs and says he's joking, but it doesn't seem so. He told me he needed to toughen me up if we were going to go on the great adventures we had planned. If I wanted to prove my courage, I needed to enter the barn and confront the dead directly so I would be prepared if any undead Dragor rose from their graves to challenge us. Or as he said, Your superstitions of the Dragor, the dead don't walk, Embler. They don't move. They don't speak. Once you're gone, You're gone. I knew he was wrong, and I knew everyone agreed with me that we should be afraid of the dead, even the elders of the village. But when I tried to explain this to Boulder, my voice always gets caught in my throat. Boulder scurried off to hide, so I squeezed my eyes shut, wishing I could close them tight enough that I'd turn invisible. Ten, nine, eight, seven... Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. I held my breath as I looked for Boulder in the darkness. But when I took a step, 
I heard a rustling and a squeak on the other side of the barn. I clapped my hand over my mouth to hold down a yelp. If Boulder heard me cry out, he'd never respect me again. I turned around in a circle, listening for the sound source, but heard nothing. Then I began to move along the south wall, running my fingers along the cold wood. Slowly, slowly, I lifted the lantern and swept the light over the corpses. I knew I should be searching for Boulder, but I couldn't stop myself from staring into their frost-covered eyes, looking for the tiniest movement. Only the small pinprick of my lantern's light glinted back. A shape sprang at me from the darkness. I screamed and fell backwards onto the cold straw. But when I looked up, only Boulder stood over me, giggling. His stupid white cap bobbed and shook in the low light as he laughed. It was the moment that I truly began to hate him. I picked up my lantern and ran outside into the snow. He grasped my shoulder and turned me around, still chuckling. Did you think I was a druggle? <laughs> You're such a child! I shook my head. I didn't think you were a drago. I don't... I don't believe in them. I tried to look certain. But we don't belong in there, and I won't go in there again. I stood firm while my heart beat hard against my chest. He laughed again. God, you're so boring. I'd rather be boring than mean, I countered. Something changed in him then. He adjusted his white cap his voice sharp and cold. You don't know what mean is. His fists were clenched so tightly, his knuckles were as white as the snow. He took a step closer to me, and I could feel his sour breath against my face. I didn't want to flinch or step back, but I couldn't help it. I did. He laughed at me. <laughs> You're so easy to scare. I didn't say anything. I was scared, but not of the Drago. I was scared because the boy who was my friend was all but gone. This new person was a stranger, and I didn't want to spend time with him anymore. I wanted him to leave me alone. I wanted for my body to stop shaking. When I was sure I could get the words out clearly, I spoke. We're not friends anymore. Then I turned on my heel and walked away. I hoped that I would never see him again. But it was silly to wish for that when we lived in such a little village. The days passed and I still saw him. Once he watched me with hard eyes as he slit open fish bellies on the pier with his father. I looked away, but it still felt like he was trying to carve into me. Mother told me not to be afraid, According to her, boys were their worst selves at this age. If I just waited, she said, things would be fine. Maybe he'll propose, she chirped cheerily. I nearly threw up in my stew. I did not want to wait, and I did not want him to propose. I wanted him gone. I told my mother I didn't want to hear his name ever again. I could tell she thought I was being dramatic, but when I insisted enough times, she agreed. There was to be no more talk of Boulder in our house, no matter what. Then, as if the whole world had heard my wish, 
I didn't see him again for weeks. He probably asked to join his brothers on his family's fishing boat. I took a small satisfaction in knowing he must have been afraid of me. I was wrong. One night, I woke to the sounds of scuffs on my bedroom floor to see a small white shape hovering in the darkness. I realized suddenly that it was Boulder's cap. I sat up in my bed to scream, but his hand was over my mouth in a flash. He brought his face close to mine, his pale skin glowing in the moonlight. Embla, calm down. It's just me. I indicated I was calm and then shook his hand from my mouth. You need to leave, I told him. He smelled cold and musty. I did not want to know what trouble he'd been up to since I'd last seen him. He sighed. I will, but only if you agree to play one last game with me. When I didn't answer, he growled at me, knocking his white cap slightly askew. Embla, enough of this. We're friends. Whether you like it or not, we're always going to be friends. I was annoyed. I knew what our history had been, but he was the one that ruined it. I was tired of his games, his cruel laughter, his need to intimidate me. Nothing you've done lately is friendly. One round of hide and seek and I'll be gone. I promise. You promise? I asked. He nodded. No snide remarks. No sly smile. I'm sorry, Embla, he said. I know you want things to change. I did want things to change. I wanted him to stop, yes, but I wanted him to hurt the way I hurt, to be hunted the way I felt hunted. And now, I could do exactly that, if I wanted. All right, I said. One game. Then I closed my eyes and started to count. I had to hold in a sigh of annoyance as I heard the creak of the window and Boulder leaving. I didn't want to leave the comfort of my home to chase after him, but I would go. I wanted to give him the same kind of scare he liked to give me. I sped up my counting. Zero. I grabbed my coat, hat and scarf and climbed out the window. I dashed around in the snow, but I couldn't find Boulder nor his footprints anywhere. I was growing disoriented in the dark. I almost felt as if the land was beginning to slope downward ever so slightly. That wasn't normal in our town. I couldn't help but imagine I had entered the other world, the land of the dead. But I told myself I was being stupid. I was just getting scared again. Then, something jumped out from behind me. I fell down, but instead of snow, my back slammed against something hard and cold. I turned around to see the etching of a name in pale stone. A grave. We were in the village burial ground. Boulder had led me to the dead. Again. Angry tears froze across my cheek. Boulder stood above me smiling with an eerie sense of calm. But it was my turn to surprise him. I considered what to do. I didn't want to push him down or hurt him. He was too strong for me anyway. But I was quicker than him, always had been. I leapt up and snatched the hat off his head, holding it against my chest. 
It was my treasure now. He'd have to respect my wishes if he wanted it back. I glared at him. I told you to leave me alone. Balder opened his mouth to speak. Then his head wobbled and fell straight into the snow. I was too shocked to scream. His headless body groped around in search of his head, which sat in the snow just out of reach. His pale hands stretched in my direction, grasping desperately. I turned and ran. Up next, Embler is forced to return Baldur's white cap. Listeners, this month marks 60 years since John F. Kennedy became the 35th President of the United States, ushering his already prominent family into the highest enclaves of political power. But behind their storied successes lie secrets and scandals so severe, if it were any other lineage, they would have been left in ruin. This January, to commemorate this iconic milestone, dig into the dramas of a real-life American dynasty in the Spotify original from Parcast, The Kennedys. Crime. History. Mystery. This exclusive series from Spotify features your favorite podcast hosts, including me, examining one of the world's most formidable families from all angles. Whether it's assassinations and conspiracies, corruption and cover-ups, international affairs, and extramarital ones too, discover all of the Kennedy family's most controversial moments all in one place. You can binge all 12 episodes of this limited series starting on Tuesday, January 19th. Follow The Kennedys free and exclusively on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. I ran as fast as my legs would carry me, sliding across patches of ice towards my house. I scurried through the window and shut it tight behind me. Safe in my room, I unclenched my fists and Baldur's white cap fell to the ground. I swore I could hear him screaming in the distance. I wasn't sure if it was my imagination or real, but I pulled the blanket over my head as though that could block out everything that happened. But something knocked against my window. It had to be a horrible dream. I threw my hands over my ears and began to count. But it kept knocking. I counted louder. I would not peek from behind the blanket, I told myself. I would not look. I swallowed my tears as the banging against the window grew more insistent. I just wanted him to stop. Had he not tormented me enough? I sat in the middle of my bed waiting for it to end, for my body to find its balance again, but comfort never came. I do not remember when I fell asleep, only that when I woke, 
it was light out again. I turned over in my bed to find my mother staring at me. So, it's true. I sat up, letting my blanket fall around me. What's true? I asked. I knew that tone, the impending punishment, but I didn't know what I could have possibly done to earn it. She kept staring at me. The expression on her face was one I hadn't seen before. Boulder is sitting on a grave, holding his head in place. My eyes widened like saucers. How did my mother know? And how did she know that had anything to do with me? As if reading my thoughts, she lowered her eyes to the edge of my bed. There was a moldy thing lying there. She placed her slippered foot on it and drew it into the sunshine. It was the shape of Boulder's hat, but something had changed about it. The threads were fraying at the sides. Large holes poked through the top. The whole thing smelled sour and dirty, like he'd rolled it in mud for a week and then left it near water. I froze and felt my stomach sink. I suddenly understood. His cold skin, his awful smell. Boulder wasn't Boulder. Boulder was a Dragor. Despite my anger, I felt tears sting my eyes. When did he die? My mother pulled me into her arms, stroking my hair. Two weeks ago, when he was out sailing with his father. An accident with the boat in a storm, I think. The poor family's keeping quiet. Imagine losing your baby like that, right in front of you. She swallowed and held me tighter. I should have told you, I know that. But now we both must make amends. It is the only way he'll rest. I could feel my mother's back hunch and shiver like she was crying. I pushed out of her arms to look at her face. Tears rolled down to her neck as she spoke. You have to give it back. My whole body went cold. I was not going to give the cap back to his corpse. I didn't care that the corpse used to be my friend. I couldn't do it. You must, my mother repeated. He needs it back to be whole, and he can only accept it from you. I threw myself back onto the bed and flung the blanket over my head. I wanted Boulder to be right. I wanted the stories about restless spirits to all be nonsense. Once you're gone, you're gone, Embler. My eyes burned from the lack of sleep, but I refused to close them. I didn't want to see his headless body wandering around in the snow. I didn't want to see any of him. Get dressed, Embler. We have to go to the cemetery. My mother gave me a soft squeeze through the blanket, and then I heard the door shutting. I dragged my feet. I couldn't believe what my mother wanted me to do. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to hand him anything. I couldn't. 
I just wanted to stay under my blankets and never see the snow again. Nearly an hour later, we were walking across the field toward the cemetery. The path didn't slope downwards as it had that horrible night, but I felt the same sense of dread. Perhaps he had cursed me. Perhaps he'd draw me into his world in order to stay permanently in mine. To visit me every night and demand a game of hide and seek. I felt hundreds of eyes bearing down on me as we drew near the grave. Up ahead, dozens of people were standing in the cemetery. The whole town had come to watch this strange play unfold. I held my mother's hand and tried to keep my head up high as we approached. I heard the whispers around me. Some people couldn't believe what happened. Some claimed I dug him up and cut off his head. But I didn't have any tools and I wouldn't know how. Boulder was the one who gutted fish. Maybe he cut off his own head. I realized how silly that sounded, but I wanted to scream it at them so they leave me alone. I didn't want to be looked at. I didn't mean to pull his head off. It was just a hat. It shouldn't have that much power. Up ahead, Boulder sat on top of a tombstone that I guessed was his own, his feet barely skimming the ground. He now looked more like the Drago I'd imagined. His skin had greyed to the shade of storm clouds, and his pupils glowed like lanterns in his swollen face. The gathering crowd couldn't keep their eyes on him for long without having to look away again, but they certainly tried. And when they weren't looking at him, they stared at me instead. The living girl who couldn't escape the boy who just wouldn't stay dead. I watched him through narrowed eyes, more upset than I'd ever been before. He'd done this to me. He just kept taunting me and scaring me and expecting nothing bad to happen, expecting me to never fight back. I contemplated running toward the pier then, sprinting to the end of the dock and throwing his cap into the sea. Let him wander through the town, holding his head in place with his hands. It would serve him right. I felt my mum's sharp tug on my hand, as though she could read my thoughts. She nudged me toward Boulder. I hesitated. She nudged harder. I stumbled over to him. My anger had kept me warm, but I felt the cold start to slip back in as I walked toward him. There was a jagged red line across his throat that hadn't been there before. I shivered. My hands shook violently. I took a deep breath. He was already dead. Nothing else bad could happen. But I was still angry. I hated all these gazes pressing in on me. I wanted to be home. I wanted to be safe. I flung the moldy cap at him. Are you happy now, Boulder? He laughed that laugh I'd learned to hate. Almost. He put the hat on his head and the jagged red line disappeared. The whole crowd seemed to exhale as one. I turned around to face my mother, ready to go home. Then, I felt my breath leave my body. Something sharp pierced through my throat. I stumbled backwards, landing against the grave. Now I'm happy, Boulder said. Blood poured from my neck. 
My mother held my hand, but then she started to pull away from me. We were drifting apart. She was patting my hair, but I couldn't feel it. I couldn't feel anything. My body hadn't moved, but I felt a warm breath near the back of my throat. I turned and saw that there were two of me. I was sitting next to Boulder on top of the graves. My mother was clutching my corpse in her arms a few feet away. I turned toward Boulder. He was holding a small blade in his hand, glistening with red. I swallowed, unable to look at him. Boulder, what have you done? Oh, Embla, he said, his voice strangely tender. I could never leave you alone. The white cap falls under type 366 of the Arn Thompson Uther Index for Folklore Studies, a category known as a corpse claims its property. Versions of this trope can be found around the world from Russia to Italy to England and the American South. Exactly what is stolen from the corpse changes dramatically between tales. It might be a piece of clothing, an heirloom, or even a body part. But regardless of the item, the important lesson is that spirits will chase you to the ends of the earth to get the justice they feel they deserve. The target of that justice is almost never forgiven, whether their trespass is intentional or not. When it comes to supernatural tales, the white cap is actually one of Iceland's least fantastical. The Nordic islands are home to legends of elves, trolls, dwarves, whites and giants dating back over a thousand years. But many Icelanders still take these stories very seriously. An oft-cited survey from 1998 found that 54.4% of Icelanders believe in elves. So much so, in fact, that some real estate development and other forms of environmental damage have been challenged on the grounds that such action would offend the so-called hidden folk. There is a healthy respect for the supernatural in Iceland, so one must look at the ghost in the white cap through that lens. While the young protagonist of the story doesn't intend to offend the ghost, she is still doomed from the moment she steals his cap and all because her friend had turned her into a skeptic in the first place. For this reason, the villain of the story isn't the ghost, but the trickster boy who mocked the girl's belief in the supernatural. The ultimate lesson is twofold. One, just because there's no proof doesn't mean something doesn't exist. And two, taking things that don't belong to you is never a good idea. After all, you may not truly know who you're taking things from. So stay vigilant and keep your hands to yourself. You don't want to end up dead.
thanks again for tuning in to Haunted Places Ghost Stories. We will be back on Thursday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Ghost Stories and all other originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you on the other side. Haunted Places Ghost Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Haunted Places Ghost Stories was written by Lil Ritter and Jennifer Roche, with writing assistance by Alex Garland, fact-checking by Haley Milliken, and research by Adriana Gomez and Mickey Taylor. I'm Alastair Murden. Fact. Fiction. Fame. Discover the real story behind one of history's most formidable families in the Spotify original from Parcast, The Kennedys. Remember, you can binge all 12 episodes starting on Tuesday, January 19th. Listen free and exclusively on Spotify.